Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hey, listeners, I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Foe, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out MagicalMysteryCamp.com slash HelpingFriendly to learn more. Osiris. I didn't do a we millennial are. pause, Brian. Are you happy? You you went live <laughs> as we went live. I appreciate it. Yeah. Welcome to the Helping Friendly Podcast, everyone. I'm Megan. I'm here with RJ and Brian. And last Monday, on our last episode, we went back seven years to talk about Magnaball. But today, we are going back 35 years. Oh my God, 35 years? crazy. can't believe it. I was 10 years old then. I was really into making up dances on roller skates to Paula Abdul. I was really you into babysat, You could have babysat <laughs> Brian. <laughs> you were two, Brian? I was two. I was really good at babysitting, so I would have loved <laughs> to have babysat you. <laughs> My favorite album was U2's The Joshua Tree, but I had a thing for Bruce Springsteen's Tunnel of Love because I just I saw pain in my future and I just I, I clung <laughs> to Springsteen at two years old. You're such a sophisticated toddler. I tried to be. Yeah. You already had a sophisticated musical taste. At two, I probably liked, I don't know, free to be you and me or like Rafi or something. I don't know. RJ, what were you like? Rafi was in the rotation. I don't right? think. I mean, I don't think I liked anything when I was two. I, I don't think. I don't think I would. I would not <laughs> ascribe sentient, you know, anything to myself. <laughs> How you old were the you Buckeyes. in nineteen eighty-seven? Nineteen eighty-seven. I was eight. You were eight. So actually, I mean, when I was eight, I liked stuff. But when I was two, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I could say that I that I was liking things at two. But at eight, I was liking things. 
I was probably like still into in the Michael Jackson phase at age eight. Mm. Oh, yes. I used to sit you know? with that album, the one that opened up with where he was laying with like the Jaguar. Yeah, off the and wall. I, oh my God. I used to just sit there and look at him and think he was the most beautiful man in the world. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened after that. Yeah, a lot. <laughs> a lot. I don't know what my follow-up comment is to that, but other than just yeah. okay. I loved Michael Jackson. I know. We, I don't know if we're happened. allowed to like him anymore, but a lot of things happened. Yeah. Um, but the band from Vermont, they were not. I mean, they probably really didn't like Michael Jackson because I think in their first gig, Michael Jackson was like played over them, right? So maybe they were really against Michael Jackson. But they played an amazing show in 1987 that I'm really excited to talk about. We're going to talk about August 29th, 1987 at The Ranch. The Ranch in South the Burlington. Ranch. This is a really cool spot and it kind of is a precursor in a lot of cases of how fish would try to build a universe, a solar system, a city, just get all the way down to it for their fans to come and hang out, be themselves, chill out, and allow the music to be their guide. I'm so excited. Can I yeah, just can I just amazing. say one more? I'm sorry. It was actually Thriller, not Off the Wall. I'm sorry, guys. That makes sense. Yeah. Because Off the Wall had like the brick wall yeah. background. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Great Thank goodness we cleared that up. Yep. Yeah. Thriller is a classic. <laughs> well, before we get into the show, first we want to tell everyone to subscribe to Osiris Media on Apple for HF Pod Premium. We released an extended episode last week that was just like listening to us have an amazing conversation. Well, I don't know. Hopefully it was amazing. <laughs> listening to us have a fun conversation. And it just, it was really awesome because it was like nobody was listening. It was great. So please check us out today. RJ and Brian just recorded another episode. Yeah. And these are really great. It's very loose and fun and intimate. So this is a great way to get more content ad-free and a great way to support us. It's like the cost of a coffee a month. So it means a lot if you can do that. So check that That's out. That's true. That's mm-hmm. true. And can I just say real quick, just that they Apple started releasing charts of subscription channels and our Osiris channel is in the top 75 subscription channels on all of Apple podcasts. So that's pretty cool. And but also we want we want whoever is listening and watching to also subscribe. Cause like Megan said, it doesn't cost that much. And we're just a small independent podcast company. So that's that's one way you can support us. I will just say to prod some people to subscribe in the premium episode, which you will hear on Friday morning. RJ does some ranking. Now I'm not gonna say if it's his <gasps> ranking or if it's other people's ranking, but he does some ranking. And it leads to a really interesting conversation about summer 2022. So check that out. Really, really exciting. This excited. is exciting. This is exciting. On record ranking, RJ. You're never going to let me down. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you got to do it for the, for the people. That's amazing. Well, before we get into this episode, Brian, will you fill us in on some business we have to take care of? Well, yeah. So, um, We want to thank our sponsors, Sunset Lake CBD, whose line of smokable hemp products are for the old deadhead as well as the young fish fan, even if they're, well, probably not if they're two years old listening to Bruce Springsteen, but you know, a two-year-old that grows into a young fish fan, if you will, searching for a mellow body high. Smoking CBD has all the benefits of high THC cannabis without the paranoia or the anxious side effects. There's nine different strains from this year's harvest, so there's something for everyone. Hawaiian haze is awesome for an outdoor show, and cherry abacus is best for the end of the night. All the flowers grown, cured, trimmed by Sunset Lake CBD farmers. Even better, the Sunset Lake CBD farm-to-table approach gets you great pricing on premium CBD flour by shipping them directly from their farm to your door. You can check them out today at sunsetlakecbd.com. Use that code on your screen there, HFPOD, H-F-P-O-D for 20% off all products. We also, also need to tell you about something that is happening one week from today. One week from right now, I will be in downtown Denver helping with load-in and sound check and hanging with John Hart and hanging with Matt Dwyer and hanging with a bunch of cool people as we get ready for Osiris Live, the big summer finale. 
Osiris Live at Larimer Lounge, Wednesday, August 31st, featuring music and conversation with the band Taper's Choice. If you have not listened to Taper's Choice, go onto either Bandcamp and check out their Choice Cuts, where they throw up really cool studio-driven jams, or go onto um, the Relisten app and check out their, I think it's the 513.22 show from Big Sur probably the best introduction that you could have to this band. They also play their own festival in uh, downtown Los Angeles in June. They are coming to Denver, their first show ever in Denver. Jonathan and I are going to be interviewing them. You can get your tickets on the screen or by listening to what I'm about to say. OsirisPod.com slash Denver. Tickets are going fast, man. Really fast. We're like crazy. Every day I get an update and I'm like, oh my God. Oh my God, this is incredible. It's going to be a party. Uh, We are going to have a ton of our friends there. We want you to be there because if you're there, you out there listening, you are going to make it so, so much better. So get your tickets today, osirispod.com slash Denver. I can't wait. I'm really excited. Really excited. It's going to be amazing. Um, It's the first West Coast Osiris Live event this summer, right? Everything else has been on the East Coast, right? Yep. Yours it's truly be is helping bring Osiris Live out to the mountains. I'm very, very excited about job, this. Brian. It's a big <laughs> it's a big responsibility. Somebody's got to do it though, you know. We also want to tell you, bear with me here. I'm going to give you guys a big breakdown of what to anticipate from the Dicks weekend because we will also be on the lot. HF Pod is going to be live from the Dicks lot. This is presented by our friends at Cannabis. Depot. We're going to have four days of music, podcasting, guests, giveaways, and deep dives. Section 118 is going to be there. Our good friends who will be selling unique and awesome fish threads. Sunset Lake CBD is going to have products on site for us to give away. And all of our Camp Cannabis Depot partners, including Yeti Farms, Evo Lab, Caviar, Munchies, and Harmony Extracts. You can check out Cannabis Depot in Pueblo, Colorado, or West Pueblo, and they are opening a new store in Boulder, where you could find them online at CannabisDepotCO.com. Amazing, amazing partner. Really, really excited to work with them. To give you a quick breakdown of what to anticipate with our Dick's Run Thursday, we're going to be doing a full breakdown of Fish's 10 plus years of Labor Day runs at Dick's. What were the best shows? What were the best jams? What were the highlights? What does Dick's mean to Fish and why do we all love Dick's? On Friday, we're going to be joined by Ryan Chicherry, better known as Trey's Guitar Rig. We are going to be doing a full breakdown of Fish's improvisational evolution with a focus on Trey's ongoing, uh, evolving guitar rig. We've got four jams picked out. We're going to talk through those jams, what was happening with Trey's rig at the time, how it impacted the band, how it influenced their jamming. Really, really stoked for that. We're going to be joined by the, uh, Mockingbird Foundation Dicks and Philosophy podcast. It's going to be going through, uh, philosophical interviews and special guests with like Ashley Driscoll, Benji Eisen, Scott Marks, uh, Lynn Nesejin, and Kim Sia. This will be happening on Saturday. Dr. Stephanie Jenkins is going to be leading this panel. Really, really, good, really going to be fascinating insights into um, the ethics of being a fish fan, uh, as well as music and therapy, a bunch of other really cool topics. So come by, hang out with us for that. And then finally on Sunday, our good friend and yours, Mr. Tom Marshall, will be joining us along with some guests, some notable guests. Heard back from all of them here today. They're all very excited to be discussing Fish's Summer 2022 tour as well as what the Dick's 2022 run meant. Really, really stoked about this. Four days, loads of podcasting. We're all going to be hanging out. High fives fist bumps, hugs, whatever you want. We're here. We're going to be hanging out, chatting with you guys before each night of Fish's Dick's Run. We'll be in the shakedown area um, right outside of the entrance on the west side of Dick's. Very, very stoked about all that. I've had FOMO about this weekend for months now. This is just, I'm going to be glad when it's over just so I can stop feeling bad that I can't go. Me too. (laughs) 
<laughs> Me too. Right? And Brian's I wish gonna, Brian's going to sleep for a while after it's over. I think so. Yes. Probably for a couple of days. I wish you guys could be there. I really do. I know. I think after the AC sad. events, I slept for, I needed a lot of sleep and that was about half as many <laughs> events. So good luck to you. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. I can't wait to see pictures and hear all about it. It should be great. We're really stoked and uh, hope to see all of you out there. Just come and see us. Come hang out. Kevin Hogan is here in the chat. He will be hanging with us along with uh, members of the Wook Plus crew. So very, very excited. There's going to be just like a good group hug of fish fans being like, we're all in this together. And I don't know if we love to take a bath, but you know, we will because there's four days of dicks, you know, you're just, you're just going through it. But you know, at some point, at some point we'll take a bath. Um, should we get to the show? Let's do it. I think Let's we should. Let's do it. I mean, this is such an interesting time because the band is just evolving so much now. I was listening back to some of the early Undermine episodes from the first season and thinking about how much their growth was about to blow up now. I mean, you think about this in 1987, they're like playing at Hunts and Nectars and Vermont colleges and house parties. And then a year later, they're in Colorado for the first time outside of New England. It's just such an exciting time for them. I love thinking about them at this point. We talked about, and thank you for the Undermine plug, because yes, in Undermine season one, we focused on the 1980s and what the 1980s meant to fish and how they grew throughout that decade uh, as they were kind of figuring out who they were, what what their whole approach and appeal was and whatnot. Um, Four months ago, RJ and I hung out here and talked about 42987, a show from Nectars, another three-set show. in many ways, a show that is similar to this, but also in that period in time, you hear this evolution that the band is going through where they're playing this bar that they would play upwards of, I think, 60 times throughout that uh, throughout the 1980s. But here, four months later, they're closing out this summer and throwing essentially like a proto-festival. You're still hearing a lot of like bits and pieces of songs and they're figuring things out. The jamming has improved in a lot of cases. It's it's a lot more, there's a lot more patience, but you're definitely still hearing this um, kind of freeform band that is figuring out exactly who they're going to be. And, you know, you think four years from now, they're going to be a complete, like four years prior to this, Trey, Mike, and Fishman were just arriving at the University of Vermont. Paige was at Goddard. Four years later, the band is in place. They've played a bunch of gigs. Four years from now, they're going to be on tour on this like circuit throughout the United States over the next two to three years as they like build up followings uh, in various cities. So it's just a wild, wild transitional period in their career. Yeah, I was thinking about that and also just thinking about the ranch and what it meant to them and these places, these houses and farms they used to go to and have have these events and they just seem so loose and free and it's really cool. You can actually see some footage of a show at the ranch from May 20th, 1987. And that's really cool to see because you can see the environment and it's just so chill. There's like dogs running around everywhere and you can hear them barking and you hear people talking and it just seems so familial in a way. It's really, it's really neat. It's kind of the perfect initial setting for a fish show. Yeah, exactly. And definitely, like you were saying, a precursor to their festivals, which I think we'll talk about a little bit later. But let's get into this first set. Should we talk about some highlights? Yeah, we should. I just, I just, sorry, I was, I was doing tech support on my daughter's iPad. (laughs) Now, now I'm back. Um, Welcome back. This is a, there's a lot of, there's a lot of songs in this first set. I mean, there's so many. I mean, if they played the, this first set today, people would be, you know, really happy. Mostly because they play like Lushington and Mustang Sally and some other rarities. I guess Curtis Lowe is a rarity now too, even though it, for a long time it wasn't. But um, this is a, I think it's a really, really fun. This is one of the first first tapes I ever got. I think probably the first '87 tape that I got or tapes. And part of that's like the the sound quality is really good, even though it was like in a living room, you know, um, really like really solid 
solid sound. And I think that I was just, I mean, I think we're, we'll talk about the Makasupa, but this is um, the longest Makasupa to ever be played. And really just like nice, beautiful little solo by Trey. That That's like the highlight of that. I guess the first third of the first six, there's like 30 songs, but that's the first stopping point, I think. I think the first time I was ever on HF Pod in like April of 2020, I made a dismissive comment about Makasupa Policeman because um, we were talking about this bet that someone made train in Europe that if they jumped off the bridge, they could play what Trey would play whatever song they wanted. And they asked for Makasupa Policeman. And oh, come I, on. That's exactly what I said, Brian. I was like, <laughs> why would you pick Makasupa Policeman? But I feel like it may be if you said, I would like a Makasupa Policeman a la 1987, maybe then it would be a good call because this is amazing. It's so slow and interesting and like textural and experimental sounding. It's awesome. This Makasupa is one of those moments that like makes you, when you hear it, it makes you go, I should listen to more 80s fish. Um, You know, there's, I don't want to say this is a problem, but like, you know, this is something I was, I, I dealt with for a while. Like you, you get into this band and there's so much music to listen to. And like, I don't have a lot of other bands that like, I want to listen to every single show that they played. I have like yeah. three or four bands. I'm like, I like not, not only do I have all these albums to go through, but now I have live concerts I have to go through. And as you're getting into fish, like you kind of figure out what era you really like. When I first got into fish, the era that I loved was 97 to 99. And that was like Mm -hmm. primarily what I listened to. And, you know, they're still playing shows. So you're listening to the current stuff, but you're kind of going back to what is comfortable and what is like in your wheelhouse. It took me a while to go back and listen to the eighties. And part of it was, I was kind of just like a lot of these shows are probably, they probably sound terrible. The band doesn't have the gear that they would have later. Like, I, I just don't know how much I want to listen to this. And when you discover something like this, Makasupa, you realize like there's so much foreshadowing of where this band is going to go. Mm. The patience that they show in this jam. I mean, it's like 11, 12 minutes. Trey puts down this solo that sounds fully formed. It sounds like something that he had written prior and he's applying here, but instead it's just like a fully realized improvisational moment. It just, it sounds to me when I listen to this, like the moments I love the most about fall 1997, summer 1998, uh, fall 2013, summer 2015, you know, this band that's like, they have these fully realized creative song written improvisational segments that is almost unlike anything else I've ever heard before. So, uh, listening to this, it's, it's my highlight of probably the entire, definitely the first set, but a lot of the overall show. I love it. The whole set's great too, though. There's like incredible energy out of the gate, but then what's amazing is that they're able to completely slow down too and do something slow like Curtis Lowe. I thought that's something that stood out to me about the show is that like their agility, it's pretty incredible Mm. for a, bar band pretty much you know a college band to be able to continually change pacing and do so well I mean not even to mention the amount of composition they have in the show it is astronomical I mean so many of these songs are their big compositional numbers you know and there's not as many covers as you would expect from from these shows there's a fair amount but there's so much of their original music it's pretty incredible I also really like the um, the Mustang Sally vocal jam, which is off-brand for me, but it's super cool. It's like experimental and wild, and then they just get right back into the song. It's pretty cool. I I, I think to your point, the dexterity, but also the um, the dedication of their material at this point in time. Mm-hmm. Like if you look through this first set all of these songs that are not covers have been written in the last four years and they're writing new songs as well. And you have alumni letter, Jimmy page alumni. Um, that is kind of half a joke song, but then you have Jimmy page. That's like a tribute to Led Zeppelin. Um, Makasupa, the original, like the oldest fish song, but has this great jamming segment. Big Black Furry Creature from Mars. You get a ton of 
just like diversity in terms of like where the band is playing from and also the sense of humor that comes back into it. But really like Lushington and the man who stepped into yesterday suite, like those, those songs to me are beyond the Mac of Super, the most important thing here. Cause Lushington is, mm-hmm. you have parts of Fluffhead within Lushington. Um, so you have this song that's like very catchy uh, that, that makes people like, there's a reason I think not just that they haven't played it in a long time, but there's a reason why people want to hear Lushington again. It's a really infectious uh, chorus, but then it has this chunk of Fluffhead within it. But then the man who stepped in yesterday, Avenu Malkenu, man who stepped in yesterday, you have this like composed segment that is absolutely gorgeous. It's a beautiful, mm-hmm. beautiful moment, and it's all original. And within that, you get you know your Ballad Curtis Low, you get your Sally, you get Mustang Sally, uh, you get Yamar, you know you get these moments where the band is showcasing their influences but the influences aren't the focus here the their material is the focus yeah and the man who stepped into yesterday sorry rj just i'll say this quickly it starts with mike saying a joke about the man who stepped into a pile of yesterday and they're kind of laughing and joking and then they go into play this absolutely stunning piece of music and i just think it's also such a genius move that they thought to sandwich that with this Hebrew song in the middle. It just elevates the whole suite of music in a way that's just pretty, I think it's genius. Yeah. And you guys got, I mean, I I don't have that much to add. I just want to say that the, um, there's, there's something like interesting about the, the mix of the covers and the originals, like Mustang Sally's the, I think we've talked about this before, but it's like the one of the classic bar band songs, you know, and they're like, they're clearly still in a, they're still, they're, they're still a bar band, you know? Um, but, but at the same time, they're playing these like fully formed compositions. And um, I always just going back to these shows, I always think about like, what would that be like to be at one of these shows and seeing this kind of combo of a, you know, a startup band and like something that's totally fully formed and like, like a three set show like this, there's just such a mix of both. It's uh it's, it's pretty wild. Um, I, I want to just put a YouTube comment up here. Um, thanks for tuning in. What if this pod was slightly longer and you played some of the highlights and then talked about the songs? We did that for, I don't know, eight eight years or so. And now it's a good point and it's a fair point. And, um, but I just want to say that we did that for a very long time. And this format that we're doing now is partially because people like we know that people know where to listen to these shows. And I think the conversation can, you know, kind of carry it. And then hopefully people go back and listen either before or after the show. So I just wanted to address that comment. That's all. I will just say that it, it is something we are trying to incorporate into. It's a little bit harder with a live show than, uh, than the way that we used to do it when we would add things in in post-production, but it is definitely something that we are, considering at some point in some manner shape or form but yes um everything is on re-listen um we are more than happy to follow up with recommendations here i want to highlight two additional comments here um when the initial live fish series came out i was absolutely obsessed with live fish nine um which was two years after this townsend family vermont what you're saying rj this like idea of they are a bar band that you're seeing in this setting. And I want to also point out Neil Landry's comment here in a second. Um, but I was thinking about listening to this show specifically with like live fish nine. I remember when the live fish series came out, Trey made a comment in, uh, in an interview that the next batch is going to include an eighties, uh, show. Cause we have to have something from the eighties. It is a slight, we have Colorado 88. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's an insult, but it's an, it's an oversight that we don't have more 1980s releases. This show would be a perfect 80s release. Nectar's 87 would be a great release. There's a couple Nectar's 88 shows. Um, there's the Halloween show from 1986. There's a lot of moments through the 80s that like you could do a really good job in official releases charting out the history of the band. And I think about the Grateful Dead has done a really good job in recent years. Um, I think specifically Dick's Picks 16 from late 1969, Dick's Picks 22, I think it was from Tahoe uh, in February of 68, um, as well as 
future releases that they would do that really showcases that band at a very raw moment. And Fish here is at a very raw moment where, as we're going to talk about getting into set two, there's a lot of moments of, of songs that are just like completely split apart that will come together at some point in the future. And you're just hearing all these different ideas. But, um, I also just want to point out Neil Landry here. Ever since I got on board with fish, I dreamed of seeing a show like this. There's something magical about the idea of being in an idyllic setting with a handful of your closest friends listening to music. I did everything I could to find tapes from this era, despite the fact that there was quote better music out there. No pressure on the band, just pure fun. And you get that vibe the entire show. They're really good at what they do, but they're just having a lot of fun. And that like, it hasn't gotten super serious yet, which is wild. There's also a lot of re-listen value to this show. It has incredible flow, great less set list construction. I mean, I think listening to this, I'm always blown away whenever I listen to 80s Fish at how good they are. I don't know why. I just expect them to be not as skilled as they are, but they must have practiced. So, I mean, they, they sound amazing. They sound really, really good. They don't sound like a bar band. They sound like a, you know, I feel like they're always playing kind of aspirationally. Like they have these like, really ambitiously composed music and they're playing it really well. And that's hard to do in a new band. You know, they hadn't been around, they've been around for four years and some of those years they're playing like a handful of gigs a year. You know, it's pretty incredible. I feel like practice was such a huge part of this. I mean, 1987 Trey is 23 years old, I think like zero responsibilities. (laughs) You know, like this is like, you're good at, at at playing guitar. And so all you do is play guitar. And that, that is, you talk about like an idyllic setting, an idyllic period in your life. Like imagine having a skill like that and just, that's all you do at that point in time. And people are paying you for it. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's amazing to think about. You're right. It's because they were practicing a lot, but it's still impressive. <laughs> no, it is. Um, but like the practice is an impressive aspect of it. Cause like, yeah. Like, that discipline. To Neil's point, like they're just having pure fun on stage, but they're also like behind the scenes, they are practicing really, really hard and saying, yeah, we're just getting bar gigs. We're just getting like DIY concerts. But like we have, to your point, we have ambitions beyond that. And it's so cool thinking, especially about the second set and looking at, I just love thinking about how Trey's brain works because he has all these pieces of fluff head that are like all in different sections of the show. And it's just so cool to think that he eventually like puts them all together. It's really neat. What are you guys' thoughts on the second set? I mean, I think the the whole show really is kind of um, it just in terms of the original stuff that they're playing is sort of captured in the slave and the curtain with jams, which are both, you know, just like really um, inspired and beautiful, and um, that's kind of like the highlight of the original stuff in here. Um, it, to me and, and McGrupp as well. Like those are all, they're, they're slightly different, but they're all kind of in the same vein of being like uplifting jams that, you know, cause I think a lot of the covers that they're playing end up being more like blues driven and more like just sort of like blues covers. Whereas the original stuff in the hood too, in the second set, there's a bunch of stuff in here in the second set that all, I think just are similar in that they're like these just really beautiful little pieces of soloing, particularly from Trey, but Paige really like adds a lot to it as well. That's one of the big differences, obviously, between these shows in later 87 and like the earlier stuff before Paige joined, you know, like if you listen to an 85 show or something like, like it just doesn't have that same um, melody, which Paige just brings really great. So that, that to me is like the second set kind of captures that whole period. I love the idea of Claude being its own song. It's such a weird moment in Fluffhead. Um, It works so well in the larger Fluffhead composition, but to have just like the bah, 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 that like open up a set. Can you imagine if they were just like, okay, we're going to fucking, we're going to break apart Fluffhead and we're going to play it all tonight, but in different er different moments. Like this is the era. People would lose their mind. Yes. Yes. Like, cause some people would be like, wait, is this part of Fluffhead? But like, they didn't know that it's its own song. Other people would be losing it because they like realized what was actually happening. It's just such a cool way to start it out. And, you know, looking at the second set just on paper, 
Claude, Slave to the Traffic Light, Curtain With, McGrupp, Hood, Divided Sky, and Bundle of Joy. All of these compositional pieces in the same set in a way that like, we talked about this in the premium episode uh, last week. Part of the reason I loved Night 2 of Alpine was you had all of these compositions in one set. And it's a really rare thing for Fish to do that. But back in the late 1980s, like this is what they were doing. They were putting forward all of these compositions and saying, like, this is the music we're writing right now. And we're going to give you these euphoric hood peaks. We're going to give you Divided Sky, which is beautiful. But like you are going to have to you know bear with us as we work through compositions, which is just not – you know, the bands that they were playing with in, in Burlington were not playing compositions at all. And even, you know, the Grateful Dead, for however much they were compared to the Grateful Dead in 1987, they have a couple of compositions and the rest are, you know, either jam vehicles, classic rock songs, blues songs, like the ambition of Fish to say, like, we're going to incorporate left of center you know, viewpoints and improvisation and experimentation while also writing classical composed prog rock pieces. It's just, it's ridiculous. Like I, nobody was asking for this. No, they weren't. And this whole, <laughs> they, they definitely were not, but this, that's what also speaks to their just like tenacity and ability to like believe in themselves. And this whole set, I mean, is there one cover in this whole set? Is the rest all original? It's just incredible that they had this much material at this point. Yeah, you've got Swing Low, which is mm-hmm. like a traditional cover, and then Timber. Um, but like Timber feels like an original song, just the way that yeah, Fish has so brought it on. Two. Yeah, um, I mean, it's it's incredible. I really like, I'm curious your guys' thoughts, the McGrupp into a jam into Possum. I listened to that a couple of times. That like McGrupp just like shifts out of McGrupp and into possum and just like a very, it sounds like it's like 10 years ahead of its time. Yeah. It's a really neat moment. I also think the Harpua is like super interesting because it's got this like no narration, which just throws you off. And then it goes into the, the bundle of joy section of Fluffhead. So, and then it has this different ending that I don't know when they stopped doing that part of Harpua, but it's, it's pretty cool. It's wild. It's uh, it's this band just continuously tinkering. What was your big highlight from this set, RJ? Uh, I, th- I think the, uh, I think probably the curtain with, um, just because it's, I, I just love that jam and Trey's m- melodic playing is just um, really pretty, pretty amazing. Um, when I was listening to it earlier, my wife came in the room and said, "Who's singing?" I was like, yeah. "I was like with Trey." She was like, "That doesn't." can't be true which i think is just funny um compared to you know what you're used to um but his singing really stands jam. out in this show it's yeah. so like zappa like it's very enunciated and silly and it's so different to hear it it's especially like now how he's like working on his vocals so much and he sings with such kind of like softness at times and he was not singing that way at all in the 80s <laughs> it's kind of amazing although you can hear him i guess on a couple of songs like mellow out but He's usually yeah. pretty out there. It's really funny. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, con- pretty big contrast to uh, to Trey of today. Yeah. He, yeah. Who would have ever known he'd become like, you know, dad rock Trey. It's pretty amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Should we get into set three? Let's do it. Yeah. Let's do it. I love this set. I mean, it's like one of those sets they are so fast and silly at times, but then they're also so delicate and can play something like, Karina, that's just so beautiful and soft. And I love this Mike song. Mike is singing really cool and he's singing things like higher. And just, I love listening to him sing this song. It's got some original lyrics and Hydrogen has like a lyric, I walk awakening on the misty fields of forever. I think that's the first time he ever said that. Trey says that in the beginning of Hydrogen. I don't know if they kept saying that or not, but it's pretty cool. It sounds really psychedelic. It's also wild that this is pre-Weekapog by about a year. Weekapog wouldn't debut until July 88. And so you have this band that is, they have the first two pieces of this trio that is going to define so much of the 1990s. And 
whether or not they throw hydrogen in there or if they throw a bunch of other songs where they jam. And it's one of the most reliable songs. And, you know, you fast forward 35 years, you have this really interesting way that they open their summer tour this year where Weekapod Groove emerges out of uh, the middle of the second set in their tour, the tour opener in Great Woods. And the next night they mess around with it and give you mics and a hydrogen. And then they keep going from there. You know, it's this, you get this sense of, it's almost incomplete listening to it here without a week of pog, uh, either attached to the hydrogen or later in the set, but it also kind of foreshadows the way that this band is going to mess around with their set list going forward, that as they're growing, as they're evolving as a band, they're never just going to like formulaically throw out to you a specific rotation. Like they're always going to be tinkering no matter if it works, if it doesn't work, it's just, it's a part of, it's an eternal part of who they are and what they do. It's so weird to hear Mike's hydrogen without Weekapog. Like your ear is expecting something and just, it's, it's like a, mm-hmm. a moment that makes you stop always. Um, I just want to say just about the hydrogen. Um, you know, this song was written by, by Tom and Trey and Mark Daubert and it was, it was for the the band they had before this, which was called Bivouac, um, and this that that line was part of the uh, was part of the original song. Um, I asked Tom that, and he said yes, it was. Oh wow, um, that's amazing! And then it got dropped pretty quickly. I think I don't remember hearing it very many times, but um, Tom does have the original somewhere. So that just that just want to just want to. Just want to put that out there. Um, but that, yeah, it's crazy. The Mike song also is like, it's like nine minutes long and it's, you know, it's a, it's a pretty, uh, fishman driven kind of like jam. Um, and then there's this long David Bowie that's, you know, even by today's standards would be like a really long version. Um, and I think that's really great kind of bookends of, the, of that set. Yeah, that Bowie is like 16 minutes and it's got like a, it gets really spacey and then it has like a bad to the bone jam at the end. It's, it's pretty cool. It's a great Bowie. Yeah. Whereas like the first set provides us with this beautiful antelope, the, or Makasupa. The second set has this chugly, uh, McGrupp and opossum. The third set, you start to hear this kind of spaciness and this aggressive approach to jamming that the band is going to employ through Mike's and David Bowie. And again, like the way that the Makasupa sounds 10 years ahead of its time in terms of the patience, in terms of the dedication to melody, this Mike's and Bowie, it sounds like that like fall 94 fish, just like rearing its ugly head. You know, this idea of like, the way for us to take steps forward musically is to play music that's challenging to play and challenging to listen to. And if we can push this music forward and we can connect around this, like around the corners where you get like those Makasupas and like those moments of like pure bliss and pure beauty. And you're just hearing this band, like challenge each other, push each other in two classic songs in a way that again, it's all the more reason to go back and listen to the 1980s. I really like this section too, the who do we do part that would become part of Fluffhead into Shaggy Dog. It's just a really cool juxtaposition of like this instrumental piece and then followed by Shaggy Dog. To me, it's a very like fish moment. And I also love that they brought Shaggy Dog back at the animal show in Vegas. I'm still sad I wasn't there that weekend for that. 17 performances. This was the one, two, three, four, five, sixth performance ever. So they've done this over the the last four performances. Just going back, this is crazy. 5,692 was a 450 show gap. 10,2995 was a 359 show gap. 622,2012 was a 574 show gap. And 10,30,21 was a 332 show gap. That's it. Those are the last four times. Uh, four times across 30 years. And before that, it was a uh, semi-staple in the 80s. It's not even like it was a rotation song. It's it's a legit rarity to hear no matter when you hear it. And it's just cool that they have these songs that kind of like exist. Like they haven't forgotten about them, but they just really are selective about when they bring them out. It's crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That animal show is so crazy. 
by the way. Oh my god. I can't. I still like. I was there, and I, I, I still like. It was a, it was a crazy night. People must have been freaking night. out. I still. The number show is the one I really wish I saw of that weekend, but. Yeah, yeah, that was. I mean, the night before that was great. The tweezer, and I mean, mm-hmm. that whole run was great. I missed the. I missed the the number show, which I think was the. I think that was the the gem of that of that run. The whole yeah, fall tour, so though. Mm-hmm. Whole fall yeah. tour was incredible. We saw a great show in San Francisco, uh, but that animal show, like the whole show, felt like a throwback to this period. Where mm. I don't think they would have ever done anything as like intentional in 1987 of being like we're going to play a bunch of animal songs, but it's like music as a comedic journey, which is one of the reasons that I talked with our good friend and one of my favorite people to read their opinions on fish, Rob Mitchum about this uh, last year for undermine. We talked at length about like part of fish's quote problem was that they're always really funny and being funny in rock music is not cool. It's not perceived as being cool, but it's like something that they're just totally dedicated to. And it's the thing that like, if you're a fan, like we are like anybody who's listening you really appreciate that humor and that humor is a part of it. And this show is filled with that. Just like something like the animal set is where like this band is playing a really dumb joke on their fans. Like at what point are they going to realize that we're playing animal songs? Probably like think, three songs in probably like, and like, and they just like keep what I love about them. <laughs> I know exactly. It's just such a troll. And it's funny. Cause I was thinking about that. <laughs> actually not too long ago because I felt so lucky that I got to talk a little bit to Tom at the Ardmore event that we did, the Osiris Live event. And you know when you get to talk to someone you've always wanted to talk to and then afterwards you reflect on the conversation and you're like, there's 400 things I didn't say and I wish I would have said. And one of them was that the thing that really stood out to me about Fish and about their lyrics and about their music was their sense of humor that was so different from the Grateful Dead, who I always felt for very mm-hmm. stoic and took themselves very seriously. Um, and so to me, that's another reason why I kind of related to Fish so much was because they felt like they weren't afraid to let us in on a joke and have a joke at their expense, at our expense. And I think you can hear that during these shows and you can hear it today. It's so cool. Yeah. I mean, this show, like you end it with Shaggy Dog and then it goes into this incredible Bowie, which goes into the Bad, the Bone Jam and into Jesus Just Left Chicago. Like you get the mix of humor and this band kind of messing around with people, playing a rarity, like a song that they don't know at this time, but is not going to be played very often, um, if at all, throughout their career. David Bowie, a song that is musically going to like, like David Bowie in and of itself is a joke. Um, I had a friend (laughs) ask me, uh, I don't know where it was. I think he was couch touring with us and he was like, are they, why are they saying David Bowie? And I had to explain like the joke aspect of it. And, but David Bowie like leads to all these musical accomplishments. And then for that to segue into a ZZ top song, after they open the set with a ZZ Top song is like them hat tipping to classic rock in a way that is kind of not cool, but is also like really cool when you're there. Like it's just, it's a, it's an awesome part about being at a fish show. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I was thinking also, go ahead. ahead, I'm just going to say, I was thinking about how, their setting too so informs the kind of music that they play. And I think that that's what was so cool about the ranch in a way I was listening back to also, if you're a premium subscriber, you can hear the interview we did with Eric Larson about, well, Tom did it actually. And that is all about the ranch and kind of what was going on there and how Eric was a part of the band's early years. It's just such a great interview. And it's so cool to think about them having this place where all their friends come and almost similar to like the Grateful Dead's acid tests, but not as like fucked up. I don't know. I was just thinking about a place where they can play for a really long time uninhibited with friends in a way that's, you know, they can really play sets of instrumental music, you know, or maybe like 
at this point, playing two sets at Nectar's, they're not going to be able to do as much, even though they pretty much did. But I don't know. I think that was that environment was really helpful for them. What do you guys think about that? I, I yeah, RJ, go ahead. No, yeah, I mean, definitely. There, I think this uh, this was like the you know this was the one of the first of these shows where like they were because in '87 they were they were playing you know, outside of Burlington, not that much, but, but they were definitely like playing outside of Burlington. So it wasn't like they were just like the local, local band who just played around town. Um, although they were, they were still doing that quite a bit at, at Nectar's and, and elsewhere, but you know, they were, they were traveling a little bit to other colleges and I think they, you know, they'd done Ian's Ian McLean's farm in New York a little bit, a couple of days before this. And then that fall, they, um, they, they did some traveling around the Northeast. So I don't know there, but this is still home to them, you know? So I feel like there's a lot, there's a lot to that. I think the Goddard college shows are similar in that there's like, that's where they're, it just seems to get kind of just get weird and everyone just has fun, you know? Um, but this one, uh, it's a little bit more out there than like the Nectar's shows that they play, that they play in, in 87 out there in that they just, they seem a little bit more, relaxed um so yeah I, that makes sense to me i think one of the reasons like a show like this is so essential to listen to is that you hear this approach repeated in future fish festivals we talked about this with magna ball on monday that um you know there's a airiness and there's a um freedom that you hear in a festival set that you don't necessarily hear sometimes in an arena show or in a theater show. Part of the joy of going to see fish is that like those arena shows that are very confined by set start times, curfews and everything has to happen within that framework. There is a way that fish at their best kind of breaks that structure. And you as a listener lose track of time and become disoriented. For me, that's a huge reason to go is like, so much of my life is structured and you go to a fish show and it feels like that structure breaks even for a short period of time. And that experience is a really important thing to fall back on in other parts of your life. But the festivals take that to a totally different level and especially these festivals. And, you know, if you want to consider this a festival, um, I think the thing that's wild, I was just thinking about this as you were talking to RJ, like I feel like fish fell backwards into success in a lot of cases because I feel like so much of the 1980s is them avoiding the tropes of what would make them successful. You know, they have really good songs and they will write really good songs later, but then they also have these very challenging songs and they have segments of songs that they don't totally know what to do with right now. And they have things like big black furry creature from Mars. And they're kind of just throwing at you all these different ideas because that's who they are. They're not focusing all their attention and energy into saying, okay, in three months, three minutes, we want to like capture who we are in a way that it's accessible. And like a show like this is them basically just saying, let's get away from reality. Let's get away from uh, any sort of constraints of the, the modern world. And let's just allow ourselves to be able to play until we don't want to play anymore. And so you have these two set, these three sets that are varying lengths because you can clearly tell by the end of it, they're playing another set, but they're kind of ready. Like, okay, once we get through this, we're done. We're not going to play 15 more songs because they've just allowed themselves the freedom to just play until they're finished playing. And that, that experience like will define so much of what makes fish successful going forward. Yeah. And there's not this feeling of having to keep people in the room. I think that when you're a bar band, it's probably really hard to watch people leave, you know, and, yeah. or not enough people come and people leave and, you have to kind of put that aside and just play what you want to play, but you also want people to be there. So I think this setting gives them the ability to not worry about that in a freeing way. I'm curious. We talked a lot about like the segments of Fluffhead here. Are there any specific segments that you would love to hear them just like return to a fish show or like, would you love to hear them break apart Fluffhead? That would be so wild. I mean, do you think they would break it apart and play all the different sections in one show? Like that would be so 
fucking cool if they did that, like spread out between the show. It's like open a show with Claude and three yeah. or four songs later, play Bundle of Joy and a couple of songs later, play Who Do We Do and then play Fluff's Travels maybe to open set two. I mean, there's just, there's so many ways that they could do this and it would, it'd be wild. I can't even imagine. I can't even imagine. I think they're seg- there's they're sequenced in the right way though. Like I think the who do we do as yeah. the last last one mm-hmm. is a good good way to do it. Um but yeah, that'd be that'd be crazy. Maybe that's next on the list, you know. Yeah. After melt the guns. After melt the guns. Um <laughs> this this show is ranked rated on fish.net more highly than all summer 2022 shows except the top 4. So I just want to just tell people in wow. case they were not, you know, I mean, also, you know, it's interesting, though. There's only 29 ratings on fish.net and there's like 500 mm-hmm. of the most recent Alpine show, which shows that like this is wow. sort of these are overlooked. But I mean, these these set lists have been part. I mean, fish.net has been around for a long time. Isn't it crazy that they that they're only yeah. 29 people have bothered to rate this this show? Um, but they love it. Those 29 people. Of, they love it. The last Alpine. Yeah, exactly. Um <laughs> So, I don't know. I think it's 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 fun to go back to these. I love listening back to these. It's it's super fun. I feel like I learned so much about the band and and who they were and who they've always been. Yeah, I'm just looking at um, one last thought here. Fish.net is constantly just the best um, debut years. So the average debut for the show is 1986. If you go through where the band was at at this point in time, there are two songs played in the show that were debuted in 1984, eight songs that were debuted in 1985, eight songs debuted in 1986, and 17 songs debuted in 1987, which tells wow. me two things. One, Fish wrote a lot of songs in 1987 and we're really excited to play them. And two, same as it ever was, because if you go through most years of fish history, they're constantly writing new songs and adding them to the rotation. And I really want to know who the person was who was at this show who was like, ugh, all this new stuff. It just doesn't feel like fish. <laughs> That's amazing. It's so good. It's so true. <laughs> God, it's like, oh, God, come on. So, so many, many repeats. repeats. Oh. So many repeats. <laughs> so good. All right. Well, I think we did it. I think we did if it. You, if you haven't listened to this show, you need to go listen to it. I just, I loved listening to it. It's really a great show as a whole too. It plays like the re-listen value all as one single show is really excellent. Yeah. Yeah. It's really great. It's nice. It's long and it gives you a lot of, a lot of diversity, you know, which is, mm-hmm. which is great. Yeah. And these three set shows like basically through Amy's farm, uh, they're structured so much differently than fish shows would be where like, you almost don't even know when they're walking off stage and when they're coming back on, like there's just the way that the, the show is constructed. You just kind of fall into it. And it's just like, it's a three hour immersive experience. It rules. So great. Yeah. Thank you guys for bringing, bringing us back to this. That was so Absolutely. fun. Um, next week we're going back a little bit in time too, but not as long to 2012. Okay. 2012. Yeah. We've been we've been doing a 2012 10 year retrospective. Uh, we did June part one in the early spring, June part two in late spring, and then uh, August in um, mid summer. We're bringing back our friend. Like so long ago. Wow. I know. You had to listen to like eight shows for those. Now you just have to listen to three yeah, shows. And they're exactly. three very good shows. Um, good friend of the pod, Mr. Ryan Storm, will be joining us to dive into Dick's 2012, 10 years on. We'll be doing that on Monday, August 29th at 4.30 p.m. Eastern. Very excited for that. Anytime I get a chance to listen to 831-2012, it's a good thing. That is a show that um, I was at Magnaball and I was at Dick's 2012 and I have a lot of thoughts. Mm. I mean, that's when, you know, it's really when fish like kind of was back. That's it. That's the switch right there. Yep. You know? That's the yep. turn. Which is kind of amazing. Um, Which we'll talk about why that is. There's just, there's so much oh. about that run. Oh. All right. I'm going to tune in or maybe I should, <laughs> maybe I should even be on it. 
<laughs> I'll be there. Either way, we're gonna we're gonna find out. Awesome. Well, awesome. thanks everybody for tuning in, and this is fun. Thanks, guys. Yeah, and thank you. Thanks everybody for listening. Thanks, Megan, for guiding us through this. All right, we'll see you guys thank next you week. Guys. Service. Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers stay clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today hey this is steve Choi, host of the musicians guild podcast part of the sound talent media podcast network within the four walls of the musicians guild we'll be discussing the habits idiosyncrasies experiences and general psychology of my friends and peers all involved with music in various capacities listen and subscribe at soundtalentmedia.com